Thank you, everybody, for coming. This uh, turns out to be a very timely topic, uh, given what's going on to our south. Um, I got a chance over the past uh, year or so to get to know Harvey uh, a little bit, and uh, Harvey uh, serves as the Vice President for Efficient Energy of Tennessee, before that, uh, Sustainable Future. Uh, he has been deeply involved with the solar industry and renewable energy in Tennessee uh, for, for quite some time, and Harvey possesses what is needed for this kind of technology at this stage, and that is passion, knowledge, and enthusiasm. So uh, without any further delay, bring up Harvey Apoletta. I don't even know where to start with this book. How, how many people got a chance to read it, actually? Well, uh, it should be required reading by all. I mean, I think that should be, you know, just you, you can't get out of high school without having read this book. I, I think it's very interesting. That said, I really enjoyed the book. But at the end of it, it was kind of like one of these things. The only way I can picture this is, you know, if you, gotta, if you kind of fell off the ship in the middle of an ocean, you kind of know you're in trouble. You realize that there's problems here. Ocean, lots of water. How am I going to get to the other end? What she does is really specify exactly the problems that you're about to face, and it looks insurmountable. So um, it's a quick read. I mean, she does a great job of telling the story and, and going through the history of oil. But in the end, I didn't feel like there was a solution. I don't feel like we've got an answer because a lot of this comes down to psychology, I think, in us changing our own personal habits. What are we going to do? How many people here have a credit card? How many people have a balance they don't really care for on their credit card? Just one? That's pretty good. Because I, I'd have to say that I have a balance I don't care for. Problem is, is, am I willing to cut it up? Am I willing to take that credit card, cut it up, and throw it away? Uh, probably not. Is it the right thing to do? I'm going to say, yeah, it's definitely the right thing to do. Get rid of it. So, that's our problem with oil. Now, everybody knows Amanda Little. Did you catch this? She's from Nashville. Jeff Christian is in the book. They get to talk about his, his projects, and I'll talk about those a little bit. Um, my drum in my business is always going to be, I guess, it, it's, it's a personal drum, and, and it's, it's an economic drum for me. It's all about food and fuel. I don't see how you can have an independent nation without those two components. Um, I think that if you look at just strategically and, and, and wars and borders, if you control the food or you control the, the fuel source, you're going to win the war. You know, there's, there's no doubt about it. Um, I think that we as Americans, we're losing the war, and I don't know that we even realize that that war is going on. I don't think that we are really conscious about our food sources. I mean, how... When you walk into the grocery store, we're so used to... And how many times have you heard this? We're so used to... We're so spoiled. 24-7, we can go into a grocery store, buy anything we want, whenever we want, without consideration. So therefore, we've been brought up that way as children till today. We don't even think about it. I mean, how many kids do you have going out and helping with your own garden in the backyard? You know? I mean, I think that's important for people to understand... Um, where uh, uh, our food source comes from, but our kids don't. Our kids really don't understand. I can tell you a couple of stories about my 13-year-old because she can always enlightens me. My 13-year-old came to me one day, and all of a sudden she stopped using straws. I thought, huh, that's interesting. Why do you want to stop using straws? Well, she started figuring out that if 
Every straw I used over a lifetime, I added them up. It would be like this room full of straws, and it was unnecessary. So I learned something from my 13-year-old. She also started collecting stuffed animals, and this is at age seven. Stuffed animal choice was pigs. So she started realizing these were cute pigs, and one day she realized that bacon came from pigs. Well, she decided that the Muslims had something going on, and she was going to give up pork. So after a while, she started realizing what else came from. And she did. She discovered where her food source came from, and she made conscious effort. She became a vegetarian. I thought, well, okay, that's seven. That'll last a month or two. Well, at 13, she's still a vegetarian. So, but I think it was that conscious decision that she made of realization of where she was. That's our problem, I think, with our energy crisis. We haven't made that conscious change. We haven't decided where that comes from. We just flip on a switch, and it's there. So, therefore, it'll always be there. Um, And that's true to an extent, but I think that we're going to end up with a lot of other issues. So, fuel and food. I mean, I'm going to talk about that all day long, and if a book starts to address that, I'm going to tell you you need to read it because I think we really need to understand those two things. Um, we're losing our food sources. I mean, it's going outside of our country. That's a huge issue. Um, the corporate farming is, is killing our small farmers, um, and that's a huge issue. Um, so anyway, the other thing that I'm going to start out with, and I'm going to end with this, really, is um, oil, you know, I guess in terms of if we think of BP, Everybody's kind of thinking oil is just a dirty, awful business that's going to kill us. Has, has your opinion changed about oil since the spill? Yes, no? Raise your hand for yes. No? Still okay with it? Are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> it hasn't changed. That's a good point. Good point. Still against it. Well, Think about this, though. Oil has what is really what made our nation great. I mean, think of where we came from. I mean, it made us, we could feed our people easy. I mean, the fuel source, it was pretty amazing what oil's done to our country. Plastic, unfortunately, has made so many things inexpensive. Our technology's changed, the ability, our tools have changed. They've become easier to come by, it's cheaper, it's faster. We have grown as a nation. So my question is, is that oil has given us decidedly this advantage to our country and our nation. So at some point, and this is it, here's the tricky part. At some point, we are going to have to realize that it was our advantage. It gave us the advantage. Now let's leverage it. We've taken all we can get from the oil industry. It's, our, it's given it to us. Now it's time to figure out, now that we have that advantage, what are we going to do with those tools to do something different, you know. And again, just going through this, I mean, it just reemphasizes the book through the whole process of the history, just keeps reemphasizing that point. She really does a great job of pointing out all the positives of what oil has done and electricity and what it's done for our nation. But again, at the end of the book, it's like, okay, what do we do? You know, what are we going to do with that advantage because it's not an advantage anymore. I mean, it's something that can really um, absolutely destroy our country. The BP spill, I mean, I'm at a point where I don't even want to turn on and find out what's happening today. You know, the problem is not just BP. 
problem is you, 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 me, everybody in this room. That's the problem. I will just beat the hell out of Walmart at any chance I get. But the bottom line is, is look at that parking lot. It's full of people. It's full of people. So there's nothing going to change about Walmart. Zero. Nothing's going to change. It's because as long as they're giving people what they want, they're going to be there. As long as you're buying oil, as long as you're doing that, as long as you don't expect something else, they're going to continue to do that. They're in business. You know, I, I'm, I'm a businessman. I take the path of least resistance. You know, we sell a lot of products and services. Right now, what do I sell? I sell solar panels. Why? Because the grants are in place to make that an economic decision. When I first got into the solar panel business, you know, and again, this all comes down to just, just a conscious decision. When I first started in the solar panel business, I was simply writing a marketing plan, business plan for a company that wanted to get into this business. They thought it was the right thing to do. And um, typically what I did is I thought, well, you know, I'm looking for people that are environmentalists. So I started looking up environmentalist publications, and I started looking at how to buy advertising with those, how to speak to that group, and I spoke to a lot of that group. In that year, that first part of that time, I sold about 50KW, which is mostly small systems, 2K, 4K, 5K systems. I sold them mostly to people actually not environmentalists. I sold them to people that were basically off the grid. They were in a boathouse. And they wanted to use their blow dryer. I sold a 10K system, 10K system, which is probably at that time was probably about $100,000 to uh, a couple that was retired and they were off the grid. And they were running a diesel generator, couldn't create enough amps to get their freezer cool enough for the ice cream. So for $100,000, this woman had ice cream. So I don't know how environmentalist that was. But she got a $100,000 system, and I delivered a big crate of ice cream, big cooler of it, you know, made a styrofoam that came from oil. So there, we all worked out on that one. But um, the decisions are the path of least resistance. It's all about economics. And that year we sold, again, 50K. Not many environmentalists. I was really striking out there. Then I started looking at the grants and looking at what that meant. Started talking to businesses. And what I found is that a lot of these companies, we've got a state grant, we've got a federal grant. In rural areas, we have a USDA energy grant. All of a sudden, break even, that was the topic. Every single customer I went into, I started talking about break-even. I can get you a break-even under 10 years. And that was pretty good with solar at that time. I can get you a break-even under five years. That was getting better. USDA, I can get you a break-even under three years. People started buying systems. So that year, uh, we sold about 250K. Just paradigm shift. I got to sell to people that are in business, that want to make money. Why are they going to make this decision to make money? Not one time... Did somebody ever ask me, I I promise you this, not one time did somebody ask me, what is this going to do for the environment? I've not had anybody ask me, how much carbon am I going to offset? I offer that to them because I feel an obligation to say, here, tell people this, it's good PR. One of the things I wanted to say about us in this area, how rare is it 
that we are in the right place at the right time. I mean, how rare is that? You know, there's so many times where you feel like, uh, gee, I just missed that boat, or gosh, I wish I was there, or whatever. The state of Tennessee, I think that what you're going to see from energy development and a change in mindset, we are in the right place at the right time. This is the first time that I can say that I know of in my adult life that I've been in a place where I've seen community, I've seen the government, I've seen the business, I've seen the artist community or environmentalists all come together on the same topic, all for different reasons, all for very good reasons, unique reasons, but in the state of Tennessee, you're actually going to see a huge change. I think that our state, we are in the best position economically to come out of this recovery better than any other state in the country. I think you're right here. And again, this is a little bit off subject, but two years ago, $5 billion business deals in the United States. Three of them came here. One was Volkswagen, one was Walker, one was Hemlock. Three of the five went to our state. There's a lot of states they could have went to. Those companies could have went anywhere in the world. Three of them came here. That's pretty amazing. Two of those are very specific to solar industry. So, guess what? The educators got on board. Golly, we need a workforce. So people in Cleveland State, like Alan Gentry, who have been doing this long before it was cool, got on board. Somebody's finally doing what we've been saying all along. There's, there's a million uh, community colleges and workforce development that are starting to get into HERS ratings, energy audits, uh, energy efficiency, solar panels. Um, you know, Hemlock's talking to these companies about what we, they need out of the chemists and what they need out of their electrical engineers and mechanical engineers. So the, the educators are getting behind it. They've got to jump on the bandwagon, right? So guess what? Now we've got an educated workforce. That's pretty amazing. We've got raw materials, Hemlock, Confluence that's come since then. So another huge industry that has to do with solar. So we've got that coming in here. Now we've got an educated workforce. If I'm a manufacturer and I'm going to build, I don't know, inverters for a solar system, where am I going to go? Well, there's solar panels being made by Sharp right down the road. I can test with them. I can work with them. I've got a big educated workforce that's starting to really come on board. So guess what? Here it comes. So year one. $50,000. Year two, $250,000. It's June right now, and I have $1.8 million in contracts, or 1.8 megawatts in solar. I'm sorry. That's a lot more than $2 million. That's, I don't know, Suzanne. Two, four, I don't know. We're at about $4 million or something. So we went from 50, 250, 1.8 meg, and the year hasn't ended yet. I don't know what that's going to turn out. We're getting that change here in the state of Tennessee, and I'm excited about that. You know, I don't know. It's the grants. It's the educators. It's the workforce. It's the politicians going out and trying to bring that to our state. So we've got a lot of great things going on here, and I think we're going to see a lot of promise. This book actually touches on some of that. I mean, the book is pretty current. You know, towards the end, they start talking a little bit about Jeff Christian and what's going on in ORNL and zero energy homes and stuff like that. So it's great. So anyway, you're in the right place at the right time, and I'd keep that in mind. I think that we can actually be leaders 
and make a difference throughout the country by actually establishing and raising the bar is what it means to do with energy. We've got so many things going on here, a lot of positive things with ORNL. TVA, one of the things that TVA has done, I know we all kind of look at them and, and try to point fingers, but I'd be careful about pointing fingers, especially when you're turning on the lights and turning on the air conditioner or cranking up the heat. I'd be very careful about that because one thing that TVA has done in this region is they have always kept their promise. Now, that's the good news and the bad news. Their promise is to bring prosperity to the valley, keeping low, affordable, reliable energy. I think TVA has done that probably better than any company in the world. So it's so easy, we stop thinking, right? We can turn on the air conditioner. It doesn't matter. Why? Because it's cheap. It's reliable. They've taken care of us for that long. We haven't ever had to give anything up. We kind of forget about where that came from and what we need to do different. So it's one of those things. It's we we got to make that conscious change and go, yes. It's been a benefit. Now, how do we leverage that? Why, do, why can't we take what we've already gotten and reinvest it someplace else? And that's one thing in this book is staggering, especially when you start, you know, of course, about the time of the oil spill, I'm in the book about offshore drilling at the same time. And I'm just like, wow, we're dead. We're dead. You know, I mean, it's, this isn't going to stop. They're going to blow it up. It's going to burn. I, you know, we won't have any more fish that was my thinking as the oil spill was going on. So it, 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 it's overwhelming how many dots this woman connects with all the issues that we have. I mean, and it's really super clear. And what she does is she goes back in history many times. She'll go back in history and start talking about food. She'll go back in history and talk about industry. She'll go back in history and talk about the military and our wars, religion, and she'll follow that back and she ties it all back to oil. That's scary to me, how you can tie everything so directly in our lives back to oil. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. So I did the quote about, for the book about, you know, I decided I was going to take this as a challenge and figure out how to get away from oil for 24 hours. I was going to do that. That I decided you're just going to have to get naked up on the top of a mountain, go chase rabbits and kill them by your hand, and just eat them raw because I don't know how you're going to do it. There's not a stitch of clothing that you have on right now that hasn't come from oil in some way, some more than others. There's nothing that you eat. There's nothing that you can go out and do that doesn't touch oil or some sort of fuel, but definitely oil. I mean, that's pretty, pretty amazing. So I tell people when I go to their homes... And we talk about energy and what a challenge energy is. And I say, and I, you should do this. Think about this. Go look at your meter and look at how fast it's spinning. Take a look at that. And then go in your house, and I challenge you to get that meter to stop. Try to get it to stop. You'll be there all day. Now, you can go take the main and just click it off, but that's cheating. I want you to go through your home and try to turn it off. Because you know what? That will raise your consciousness about where you're using energy. And you'll be amazed. You'll absolutely be amazed at all the phantom loads. You know, We don't design houses to shut them off. You know, we don't... Like, if you have a media room... Think about this. If we, as if out of convenience, if we had a media room and, you know, the VCR is going to blink on and off and, you know, we've got 
tons of LEDs firing up, our TV's staying warm so we can turn it on instantly. Instantly, we need that instant. Because three seconds later, something will happen in our life that will disturb us that the television didn't immediately come on. But um, if you had a media room where you could just go and just flip that switch and everything shuts off, wow, that'd be interesting. That's a design change. Um, some things are just more efficient. DC lighting is more efficient. How many homes, do, anybody have a home that has DC lighting in it as well as AC? It's all the AC, right? So um, now if you do some sort of kitchen lighting like I do and kind of cheat the system, I've got some DC lighting, but it doesn't really count. It's very ineffective in what I've used it for, and it's more for decoration than it is anything else. So um, try to turn it off. And I think at that point, once you try to turn things off, you're going to figure out how much energy you're really even using that you don't even think about every day. And I hope you feel guilty about it. I do. So we're trying to get a little guilt going. Um, when you go on vacation, and this one always amazes me how many people raise their hands on this, because then I feel guilty. When you go on vacation, do you all shut your hot water heater off? How many do? Raise your hand. See, I feel guilty. There's five people in this room, and I'm not one of those five people. Because when I go on vacation, after I've gotten where I am, I go, oh, I should have turned off my hot water heater. That would have been the right thing to do. So I never really think about it beforehand. Um, how many people absolutely have to have hot water at 3 a.m.? You never know. <laughs> well, in my household, I do have kids, two teenage girls, basically. I call them teenagers. One's 11. She's, she's crazy. But um, they don't even get up till noon, you know? So I don't need any hot water till 3. So... You know, do we have our hot water heater on a timer just to shut it off? No, because that would be inconvenient. Do we go downstairs and try to unplug it and turn off the circuit? Nah, we don't do that before bed. Because then we'd have to get up at 4 to turn it on so it would be ready at 6. Or we could put a timer on it. So we don't really design our homes that way. But if you start to think about it, there's probably a lot of things that we could do that are easy to do that we could make change in our lives. Tell me something... If anybody's got any examples, what, what does oil not affect? Because I, I couldn't come up with them. I, I wrote this card, and I'm going to come up with something. But what does oil not affect? Anything? Make something up. Swimming, maybe. I don't know. I, I can't figure it out. I, I mean, so here's the thing. So we're not going to get rid of oil, right? Is everybody going to, we're going to go back, caves, fire? Is that good? No, it's not realistic. So we're not going to get rid of oil, but what do we need to do? We need to use it responsibly. We need to have our alternative energies. Right place, right time? Well, I think that our current administration from federal to state, we're doing the right thing. We're moving that direction, but it's going to take people like you to continue to be more vocal about it. We get, we're these creatures of habits, and I think that um, we expect more. We expect a big corporation like BP to do the right thing. Why? Because they're a big corporation. They hire smart people, we hope, right? So they're hiring smart people, so we expect them to do the right thing. But guess what? We don't, most of us don't turn our hot water heater when we go to vacation. And we don't need it, but we don't do it. It is the right thing to do. We are smart. I think everybody in this room's smart, 
right? We're all smart. So, but we're not doing that. So why is it that because it's this corporation, we expect them to do something different? They're doing the same thing every day that they did for the last year, for the last five years, for the last ten years. They're putting a lot of money, and it's an insane amount of money that they put into exploration of drilling. And the, the bets that they make on an oil well. Well, why not place some of those bets on solar or other renewable energies? You know, I'm working with um, a gentleman here, Dr. Sam Weaver. Anybody familiar with Sam Weaver? He seems to be an icon in the energy world. This guy ran around the world making these huge, huge um, kilns, basically, you know, to, to, to fire off, like, toilets and sinks and, I mean, just giant things for manufacturing. He did a lot of stuff with the nuclear until um, the armed guards cost him more than his whole staff to take care of that, so that, that he got out of that business, sold. Um, and he started working on a... Um, solar project in Colorado and decided, boy, I could put a lot of solar out there and it's going to be a tough time to make a difference. And Sam has been very successful. And I think Sam is a great example of leveraging what he's really done. There's a lot of things in energy that have made him successful. And he's taken that and he's decided, I'm going to do something different now. I'm going to make a change. And so he's invested into this technology and it uses switchgrass, but in reality, it can use any cellulose material. And basically, you, it's, it's a switchgrass hydrogen generator. You put it into a system, and it takes um, basically the, the switchgrass is, is not, it's processed in a sense, it's just ground down to almost a powder. It is a powder, it looks like cinnamon, about the same texture. And um, this creates just a ton of energy. And not only does it create energy, it's carbon neutral. It uh, also generates a great deal of heat. So in the instance of like a hotel or a hospital, using a lot of power, guess what? They also use a lot of hot water. All that hot water comes along for free through a heat exchanger. So it's a hydrogen technology. It's carbon neutral. It's here in the state of Tennessee. It is hopefully going to be my life after grants because I believe in that technology. But making investments into that type of technology seems to me it would be a no-brainer. It's been very difficult to get those early adopters. So many questions. You know, um, of course, when you say hydrogen, how many people think you're going to blow up as soon as you get near hydrogen? You know, that, that's kind of the mindset of it. And, and hydrogen actually, according to saying, I'm no chemist, I'm no physicist, I'm far from technical. But according to Sam... Hydrogen is so light and it dissipates, it can actually just zip off and out of the atmosphere like that. The chances of blowing up, I mean, it's, but, but, but when you're so used to propane, right? Propane generator, you don't think anything of that. And that's heavier and it's going to blow up a lot easier, I guess. So anyway, the amount of money just in this book, and I can't quote you any numbers. I wish I, I, I wrote some of those down, but it's just absolutely amazing that what we will bet on to drill an oil well. And, and if we could just emphasize making that change, you know, to, to the companies. Now, how do you do that? I don't know. Write them. How do you do it? Less oil? 
people have to figure it out at some point, switching your buying habits. I mean, that's the biggest thing you have to make a change, as far as I'm concerned, is switch your buying habits. Do something different. Influence somebody to switch their buying habits. That's even more important. I've known Brent for a long time. He does all the right things. But, but he's got to influence more people, you know? So you've got to get out there and bang that drum harder. Anyway, I, I just think that we are... Um, we're just like rabid dogs. We don't know any different. We just keep doing the same thing. We don't even think about it. It's become unconscious, and we just keep moving forward, moving forward, moving forward. As far as oil goes, again, you know, going back through the history of oil, once you get past World War I, the war was either fought about oil or it was won because of oil or lost because of lack of oil. We have created a whole political climate around oil. Oil's been an issue. Our whole relationships with Saudi Arabia is because we have an affinity for Saudis. Is that what it was? Or is it the oil? But we protect that relationship rapidly. I mean, it's, it's one of these relationships that we do not let it go. And why? Because of the oil. You know? And we've gotten to the point where oil is so critical to everything that we do our, I mean, our complete foreign policy is shaped around how do we protect it, how do we get more, how do we make sure that people are giving it to us. Um, in 74, I mean, most people here remember the oil embargo. Do you remember that? That was kind of a wake-up call, right? I mean, it was, what was gas at that time? I, I, you know, I actually worked at a gas station during that. It was pretty interesting. I made a lot of friends. I was like a Saudi, you know? <laughs> I'm actually Egyptian, but I felt very Saudi at that point. So um, it was really kind of fun because everybody wanted a full tank of gas, and guess what? I had the keys. That was real power at age 15, you know? <laughs> um, I could actually get girls to go out on a date, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> But it was all about oil, right? And I didn't even know it. I don't know. I, I, it seems like gas was like a quarter, 35 cents. Golly, and gas started going up to a buck, buck 50. And, you know, the kind of fun thing, because I did the inventory too, is I realized everything that we had in the ground was at 19 cents. And I was selling it at a buck and quarter, you know. I didn't get any of it, but I felt good about it because I felt like I was making a profit, you know. And uh, I felt a part of that. Well, the lines went on, and I, I don't remember how long it went, but it seemed like all summer long, and the lines just kept getting there and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it was just like everybody got their $5, you know. And again, another sense of power. I can give you 5 bucks. that's it. You're out of here. So those evil customers that you didn't like, you know, you could say, well, you know, I'm out just having to shut down. So I got a lot. I was very spiteful at that time. But the oil embargo, it woke us up. Right, as a nation, Carter put solar panels on the roof, I think. Reagan, Reagan took them down, yeah. And I, I think that was a statement, right? Yeah, I think that was a statement. But um, we kind of woke up and we said, oh, we got to get smaller cars, you know. And at the time, I was kind of a muscle car fanatic because 1971, Mopar had the... I mean, the, the Hemi came, I mean, the Hemi had been out, but I mean, that was at its peak horsepower in 1971, just in time to get ready for that oil, oil prices to go up. So Chrysler had tons of these, you know, monster cars and Cadillac did, you know, because bigger is better, of course, right? We all know that. 
And so also an industry came out of this thing. We just had to do small cars. We didn't have a choice, right, because of the gas prices and everything else. So we started making changes in our vehicles. Well, as that kind of got lax, what happened to the cars? Yeah, they got bigger. And guess what? Chrysler came back with a Hemi again, which I was kind of happy about. But, you know, who's got them? I mean, you can go out to the lot right now and there'll be 10 challengers sitting on the lot. Nobody's buying them. Why? Because we got to get, get around. I, I uh, unfortunately, because of my business, I can drive anywhere between 500 and 1,000 miles a week. Um, I mean, I am the road warrior. And... Um, Honda Civic does it for me. You know, as long as I'm getting 30 miles a gallon, I'm very good with that. You know, anything less than that, it's going to kill me. I think that we have these wake-up calls. BP is a wake-up call. I don't know how long it's going to last. I think when it stops and they're going to give us some count about what it did to the environment, Florida will probably be pretty upset. Louisiana will probably be upset. But that's not in our backyard, right? So we we don't have to worry about it. Kingston Asheville, anybody concerned about that right now? Have you kind of forgotten about it? Think it'll happen again? Yes. Yeah, I think it probably will. You know, I don't know how long these wake-up calls go, so I guess we've got to start with the 12-year-olds, make this required reading, and then they can start to get at least their mindset. They're thinking that way from the day one. So, uh, again, how do you get something that oil doesn't touch? That's the thing that was kind of bizarre to me, which, again, she keeps tying everything, every dot back. So you're in this middle of the ocean, right? We were in the middle of the ocean. We knew we were in trouble, but we just didn't know how much trouble. But she keeps telling us over and over, this, this is what it means. Um, she even goes through NASCAR. I mean, recreational. We find so many ways to entertain ourselves with fuel, it's just staggering. It doesn't matter whether it's boat races or car races. Anybody have a boat here? I know you got a boat. So, do you enjoy it? Sailboat. Okay. What happened to the houseboat? Oh, okay. All right, well, okay, see, he does, he's always doing the right thing. Wayne, what's yours? Not a sailboat? Okay. Thank you. Thank you for, yeah. Who's part of a CSA? Everybody raise your hand. CSA? What does it stand for? Community? Shared? Okay, so, wait a minute. Everybody's part of a CSA, right? No. Okay, just print. That's really bad. Now, so everybody knows what a CSA is, right? No. Okay, well, we're going we're gonna to go down that road right now. CSA is probably, in my mind, one of the most important things that you could do today that's easy and it's fun. Go down to the farmer's market. You'll have several of them available. And uh, who, who's yours with? Are they... Knoxville Farmer's Market? Yeah. Okay. But basically what it does is it gives a farmer a fighting chance to figure out his, his or her crops. You go to the Knox County Food Council and they've got a whole list of CSAs, farmer's markets. Perfect. Whatever. Knox County Food Council. And is it, obviously they have a website. 
Okay, so here's the bottom line. The, the CSA, what it does is you sign up for the CSA. The farmer already knows how many people they're going to feed. You're going to share in that farmer's crop. So what will happen at some time, I don't know when it starts, actually, when the food starts coming in, you start getting you know, leafy vegetables, and then over the summer, every week, you get this little surprise package of vegetables that are freshly grown, most of which are probably going to be organic. It just depends on the CSA you sign up for. Um, and that'll go through the fall. So what you're going to get is in-season vegetables. And um, it becomes a whole family thing, really, because you get very creative in recipes. You really start getting outside of the box of what you would normally do. But guess what? You get the, 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 the advantage of buying something locally. Transportation costs have gone way down, and you're supporting the local farmer. That, that's, if you do it for any reason, support your local farmer. Do it for that reason alone. Now, if you want to save on fuel and you want to help our economy, you want to help our local economy, you want to help all those things, then do it for those reasons too. You can just add them to your list. But if nothing else... Take responsibility for our food source and sign up for a CSA. I mean, that, and tell somebody to sign up. Browbeat them if you have to, okay? Just make them feel guilty, sign up for a CSA. That's very important. So you, you get to cross a lot of things off your list with that CSA. That, that is just a brilliant thing, and you're going to make a huge change in all kinds of things. Um, plastics. Anybody got anything? That, is anybody without plastics today? anywhere. You know, how many industries have come out of plastics? I mean, kind of the good news is, is we can keep leftovers easy, right? We got Tupperware. That was a good one. And then we got body parts. You know, some of them actually function. Some of them are for looks. So we've got this huge, huge industry out of, out of plastics. Again, what did plastics do for us? gave us all kinds of cheap tools. It gave us a lot of advantages. It gave us a huge industry. It gave us all kinds of new technologies. It allowed us to do things that we couldn't do before. So now it's time to leverage it, right? Same thing with oil. I mean, it came from oil, but it's time to start to leverage that. Um, Jeff Christian actually got mentioned in the book. Um, He's doing a lot of projects about um, homes, zero energy homes, Z-E-H, is anybody familiar with the Zero Energy Home? Are you? Have you worked on any of them? Um, not directly. I'm, uh, I'm an architect. Okay. So, yeah, I'm familiar with a number of different projects. Um, solar Decathlon is a great thing for people to look at. Um, mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of research going on right now on ways to make our homes uh, consume less. Right, Or Absolutely. generate their own energy. Which is brilliant. And, and that, a lot I of mean, that's going on at UT. So. UT? Yeah, UT's College of Architecture and Design right. is doing a lot towards, towards developing that. And we desperately need it. I mean, we desperately need it. Now, one thing I'm going to say, and I, I know I'm going to run out of time. I am out of time. But one thing I'm going to say is for sure, when it comes down to it, at least from our company standpoint, from a residential side, evaluate, reduce, then produce. Now, by definition, you can't have a zero energy home unless you produce something. You can do all the weatherization. You can reduce. And that's where you're going to save most of your money. But in the end... In order to be net zero, you're going to have to produce something. So whether it be solar or whether it be hydrogen or solar thermal, whatever, you're going to have to produce something to be net zero by definition. Um, 
It was kind of fun when you're reading through the book and all of a sudden you see Jeff's name in there. And I said, you know, I've worked on those projects. So, you know, I have had the good fortune of being able to work on some of his projects. So I haven't even started to talk about our grid. That's a freaking nightmare. You know, I mean, the grid is absolutely amazingly scary. So I'll save that nightmare for in here. She doesn't cover it as much as I thought she would. She doesn't go into it really. But um, our grid is something that you really need to be concerned with and we're not. I mean, we don't think about when we turn on lights. Changes, transportation, you know, the leaf. I mean, a lot of people sit there and go, well, you know, it only gets 95 miles on a charge, and then it takes four hours to charge. Who's going to buy that? Well, everybody in this room probably commutes less than 95 miles to work and back. I would say that 99% of your transportation, unless you're somebody in, in sales like me where you're just a road warrior, I mean, you're either you know, 1,000 miles a week or you're, you know, 200. I mean, it's not. So I, I think a leaf really makes a lot of sense. Public transportation we forgot about, especially here. Um, John Craig, I was listening to his podcast, and he had this amazing statistic about the city of Knoxville and what the public transportation service back like in the 20s versus what it does today and it's unbelievable it went from like 23 million to now we're at 3 million you know something crazy it was that number is probably incorrect but it's pretty amazing that what we forgot about public transportation and the cool thing about public transportation now is and i'll go back to my kids if i go down and put them on a bus you know what it's like a roller coaster for them it's a ride it's a thrill it's fun so you know, it's something to consider to get downtown is to jump on a bus because I promise you, your kids that have not grown. You know, I can't even imagine where I grew up. You got on a bus, you got downtown. I didn't ask my parents for a ride. I, I mean, I, it wouldn't even occur to me to ask for them for a ride. But you just hop on a bus. I'm scared to death my kids couldn't get from point A to point B on a bus. I mean, I don't think they know how without us. 13 and 11. 13 and 11, I mean, that's what we did. So um, We've gotten away from a lot of things we need to get back into. Politics, same thing. Our whole country's been shaped by energy and oil. I mean, our politics right now, our whole economics in the state of Tennessee, for the good, is being shaped by politics. Um, industries are being born. In. And I'll end it with this. I mean, just what I began. I mean, it's like... Oil's really given us this huge economic advantage. I mean, we've really gotten a lot. We've got great lives out of it. We've got a great country out of it. But now it's really time to think about that and leverage what we've gotten from oil and do some better things with it. And I'll just leave it with that. And thank you. I'm Emily Ellis, Reference Librarian at Knox County Public Library. To hear podcasts of other programs, visit www.knoxlib.org, that's K-N-O-X-L-I-B dot O-R-G, and follow the link to the Brown Bag Green Book webpage.